0: Again, I don't think anybody could prove you wrong. I think people might think you're kind of stupid for saying that.
1: All right, welcome to another episode of Theater Cleaners. Today we're going to be talking about Fritz Lang's breakout sound movie M. It's a uh, German. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a
0: movie. It's a little long, but it's pretty solid. It's got it's got a lot of really good things to talk about, and. Um, If you're not a really big film nerd, it might be a harder one for you to watch, but it's still definitely a good watch.
1: Oh, it's a good watch. I mean, having seen it for probably the second or third time now, it's one of those that's always good to go back to and just kind of like learn things that you probably weren't picking up on on your first watches. And like, especially if you're someone like me who was in film school, just kind of taking naps in the back of the theater. I kind of missed a lot on this one and it's really good to go back and kind of gauge it. But... There's so many different things that you can see have been like uh, grown upon and are introduced and are very relevant and consistent in today's film, in modern film.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think my favorite part about this whole uh, film was that there's no dub. So you have to watch it with subtitles.
1: Yeah, you have to watch it with subtitles. I mean, I know you've given me flack in the past for watching things either dubbed or, you know, just with the subtitles and like. You know, it does take away from what the movie was meant to be a little bit, and I'll give you that. But like at a certain point, I would watch it dubbed just so I don't have to constantly be reading the screen. Like sometimes I like to get up and make popcorn when I watch because you know, movies and popcorn it's a little hand in hand. Because you know, us theater cleaners we're we're pretty used to picking up popcorn. Yeah. Do you eat any of that or just just toss it? Uh, it depends how fresh. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Anyways, backstory on the name. I used to clean theaters. That's how I got my start, really loving films and watching all of these great historic films. Dom, not so much. He's kind of one one of the people that kept me having a job by making a mess in the theaters. But either way, we're pretty excited to be able to just sit here and get to talk about these great films.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, we're lucky. We get to do this for fun. We get to do it for, for our entertainment purposes. And we get to share it with people that might not have seen these movies before. This is like the first one that we're talking about that, Maybe not a lot of people have seen.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's actually one of those that we get to take our our background in film history and actually get a show that we kind of went to school and sort of paid attention.
0: Yeah, kind of, sort
1: of. Kind of, sort of. But anyways, I just wanted to preface this movie as being Fritz Lang's 1931 German expressionist film. And it was originally released to be one of the first German talkies that came out in that era. And actually, during the production of it, it was such an expensive movie that it almost uh, bankrupted the UFA, which was the German's major film studio. So it was, it was a lot that went into it, and it ended up being Fritz Lang's last German film that he made while overseas. He, he quickly hopped ship and went to a good old Hollywood and started doing some American films after that. Golden age of Hollywood. Golden. Absolutely. Um,
0: well, first of all, I got to say, this movie is a German film, so it, it feels different than a lot of old uh, American movies from Hollywood. But at the same time, it does feel really similar. It's kind of at a weird crossing point, like you were saying, where there was going from silent films to talkies. Uh, and a lot of talkies early on were movies that were just, they were they were actually just musicals.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't do any sound design back in those days. They were just happy that they could use sound and actually, like, add something to it. And I feel like with uh, Fritz Lang's movie, it's one of the first, like, instances... Where sound is a driving factor of the plot.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's one of the first ones that at least I can remember off the top of my head. And maybe you have something in your notes there that, that confirms this. It's one of the first ones to actually use diegetic sound almost exclusively.
1: Yeah. I mean, it also does a good job of using like undiegetic sound to where it's voiceovers or characters talking, moving on over to the next scene and using sound as a bridge between scenes. Yeah.
0: What we would call like a J or an L cut now uh, would be, would be what they what he kind of pioneered and wasn't really popular after that until well after yeah well after he he uh did
1: that he was far ahead of his times so I'll say that for sure but uh i mean one of the biggest instances that you start to catch on to any of those kind of things would be like uh when the underground criminals and the proper like police in berlin are having those uh scenes basically talking about what do they need to do to capture you know, the main guy in the plot, we haven't really given like a synopsis on the movie. So I'm not trying to give it away or anything, but it's true. Should we give it away or should we not? I mean, we're going to give it away. We got to talk about all of this, but it's just for right now, I mean, there's that, that scene where there's the match cuts between these people talking and there's so many similarities and they're just using the sound and the similarities between all of it to just create a juxtaposition and show that both of these sides are on the same path. Like they're both working towards the same goal, even though they have different backgrounds. Yeah. That's
0: the, uh, that's the interesting thing, but also from a, a pop culture, not really pop culture at the time, but like kind of a, uh, relevance to the society at the time in Germany, post world war one. Uh, it's a critique and comment on society. Uh, for the most part kind of having mistrust and uh, a general not malice towards the the German government at the time but they didn't really trust them as much they weren't they didn't really think they could provide what they needed which was in this situation finding the serial killer of children right um, and this was a really interesting way to see that it was a comment on that in a society at the time so you have the criminals using the information from normal people to help them find the criminal, and they end up finding the murderer, right? Mm -hmm. But then you see the police, like, one of the police guys, one of the main chiefs or something, I can't, I don't know exactly his role.
1: No, it was really hard to distinguish, like, what roles belong to certain people. You kind of pick it up. They're really subtle with it, especially at the start of the film, but eventually you kind of get a grasp, at least on the general terms, of like which group do you belong to.
0: Yeah, but the big honcho police guy in that scene that you're talking about where they kind of cut back and forth between the criminals and the and the police uh, having a meeting about their, their plans to capture him. Like I was saying, the criminals were willing to use uh, the citizens' information, normal people's information, but the main big, Honcho Cop guy was like, "That's like horrible. Why would I ever listen to what a normal person would have to say? And that's just a it's a it's interesting to see like a time capsule of how society was at that time. Oh, absolutely the German culture because they were really mistrustful and really uh, had a distaste for the German government at the time. uh compared to now, maybe we wouldn't see that same kind of scene played out in that same way because it's not necessarily the exact same social comments today.
1: Well, that's one of the things that I love about, like, going in and studying film history is it? it literally is, is it's a a time portal into, like, worlds and different eras of life that, like, we never would have gotten to live being born in the late 90s. Like, you can go back and you can watch, like, a Lumiere Brothers film and you're seeing something shot in the 1800s and you get to see how people are actually wearing, because back then they weren't doing props or anything like that. It was just raw. And, like, that's one of the best things about seeing that. And then... I just wanted to transition and give, like, a brief summary as to what this movie, M, is yeah. and is about. So, basically, the movie is about a uh, serial killer who, like, kidnaps children, kills them, whatever. And the city's super not down for that, as they should be. So then the police basically put out a dragnet starting to search for all of these people. And that kind of starts fucking up all the criminals what they're trying to do, all the pickpockets, all the gamblers, all those people, they're getting their shit disrupted because the police keep coming in and doing these searches. So then the criminals decide that they're going to go and find this murderer themselves. So then there's both the police and the criminals all working towards the same goal trying to find this, this murderer, kidnapper, super messed up kind of guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, I always thought one of the really interesting things about uh, like the dialogue and the writing for this, for this movie was how the criminals were like, we have an understanding with the police. If one of us dies in the line of duty, if a cop dies while on duty, or if a criminal dies while doing criminal acts, it's an understanding. It's okay. It's a it's an occupation hazard.
1: I was just about to say, I was really hoping you were gonna remember that because it was such a great moment when yeah. he's just leading back and he's like, Well, he dies, I die. Occupational hazard, you yes. talk it up to that.
0: Yeah, but then and then he's like but killing children is across the line and they want to be separated from him. And I was kind of one of the main things that they were like, we don't agree with this guy.
1: Dude, and that's Fuck still him. common till today. Like any one of those like any one of those kind of criminals that go into, you know, a jail nowadays, they're going to catch hell from all the other prisoners because straight up there's an unspoken code. And like there's certain shit you shouldn't do. Even if you're a criminal and you get caught for something else, if you didn't go that route, fucking you're still a good person kind of there's honor among thieves absolutely uh so i got a question for you
0: i'll answer do you think this film is more important for its audio or more importance for its like cinematography
1: oh audio 100 percent. because i don't know if you remember but i was talking to you a little while ago and i was just saying how the film cinematography it isn't doing a ton it's not being crazy it's not like exaggerated camera moves or anything like that it's all pretty straightforward and that's in order to let the the sound and the plot drive the story forward versus having the camera be a pivotal role in the film so the to me it's it's the audio that really makes this movie
0: yeah for sure i agree with you Uh, there's so many different things in this movie that you can just look at and just be like wow the audio in this movie is for
1: its time, is it like really amazing. It now it's clear and it's crisp. dude. like I was genuinely like surprised to be hearing it that well.
0: Yeah. So I think I could be wrong. I I didn't write this down. Probably should have. But I'm pretty sure this was the like you were saying the first German sound movie. But there were talkies before that in the U.S. for like a few years though. Mm-hmm. This is this is like a little little later on into the the talkies time. Just not for the German film movement, though, because they were behind Hollywood.
1: It's one of the first real instances in, like, that era where Europe is behind the curve. Mm -hmm. Because for so long, all of, like, the major European countries, they were all, like, top-notch, cream of the crop on the film market. And then it took so long for the U.S. to really catch up and then start to break away, become its own major area for getting film done.
0: Yeah, calling on that right before we hop back into the audio part is, because of World War One and World War Two, really propelled the U.S. and Hollywood into being the big movie uh, titans. They well, were before yeah, that, you, like you were saying, it was like France. It was you tri- know
1: how hard it would be to be trying to film a film a shoot on a like soundstage while you're getting them like bombarded. Like, well, yeah, obviously we got a little bit of a break during those wars to kind of go off and you know. I was talking about like the economic situations after World War. Well, yeah, their economics are you know kind of yeah. shit, but like also studios had to shut down for war
0: yeah that's true um so during the time the u.s had time to catch back up and even surpass uh europe in filmmaking at that time and uh this is just an example of europe specifically germany finally getting their chance to advance their their uh art in film and the technology is better, so it's clear. The audio is pretty clear. There are some points it's like, wow, that mixing is horrible and that kind of hurts your ears a couple of times. Uh, There's just like some whistling parts is kind of rough to listen to.
1: Oh, like just, when they're messing with the machines? It's just old audio, you know what I mean? It's, it really is. And honest to God, if you haven't watched this movie yet, I would just pause this whole podcast, go watch it, and then hop back in. Cause yeah, got sure. We got more details we want to talk about. We're not trying to give anything away, but also we're going to give it. We're going to give it away. Give it away. Yeah. It's just too good to not talk about. Definitely.
0: Um but this was finally the first time for Germany at least. I am not going to comment on the rest of Europe at this time because I didn't really do much research coming up to this other than just Germany was you could you could see where the art form was starting to change and they were and Lang was making decisions and experimenting with how audio works in movies because they hadn't done that before. This was his first audio. This was his first talkie. This is his first audio introduced movie. And you can still see his silent film techniques and things happening in this talkie because they hadn't fully developed it yet. Right. So one of the big things is he uses silence in this movie a lot.
1: See, I actually had a note that I wrote down about this. And it's, the, the sound is such like a driving factor for the plot in this, that when the sound cuts out, you know you have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Like, for a lot of the, for a lot of like any movie really, once talkies are really a thing, it's like you can kind of ha- haphazardly pay attention. And like, the that's what's good, is when you know there's a good filmmaker, they know how to keep someone's attention, or even if they've lost it, they know how to bring it back. And I think with Lang, like, using the sound to his advantage and cutting it out, it really lets you know, like, hey, you need to be paid, paying attention because something is visually stunning, like, is about to go down.
0: Yeah. So he, in his experiments with sound, we really see that he was getting to do, he was he was messing and trying things out that other people hadn't done yet. So <laughs> uh, that's always interesting to see. Versus um, versus his silent films, uh uh, Metropolis. hmm Uh, another big movie. Well,
1: Massive. I, I know 100%. Yeah. It's going to be on our, on the queue at yeah. some point. We'll save what I was going to say for that, for when we do that episode. Honestly,
0: because, you know.
1: I mean, yeah. If, if people have a good memory, they'll probably not forget that. Because it's a, as soon as you see the film, you're like, oh, I, it's, it's that film.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of things straight off the bat that makes you think audio is going to be important in this movie. And... Not even just audio, but how audio is gonna tell a story. So at the very, the very first scene, we hear a little girl singing about murder.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Right? I always like just kind of glaze past that scene and don't think anything of it. So I'm really interested what she got to say. Yeah. So in that scene, we open up
0: on if you don't know what the movie is about, this first scene tells you everything that you need to know. It's a little girl basically singing a uh a schoolyard rhyme like a like a nursery rhyme, a schoolyard rhyme about children getting murdered, which is kind of like really dark and foreshadow like for shadowing I don't know what the correct word is there
1: um I, I was just gonna let you get yeah, word through that dog just to let me flounder there yeah, I was gonna let you flop like a fucking fish,
0: yep well, I have been for twenty four years of my life so. <laughs> um keep going yeah almost 25 so at the beginning you really see what the entire movie is about from the very first scene when it opens up in this little girl's singing about murder and then that woman i guess like one or two stories up like basically yells at her to stop singing and like that's like you there's a serial killer going around killing little kids like why are you singing about something like that right now and then she walks away and the girls start starts singing it again and it's just like you feel like it should be stopped and you feel like, oh, this is the first kind of sign in the movie, like, oh, pay attention, do something, right? Mm-hmm. Figure it out. But then she just goes right back to singing, kind of makes you feel like, well, somebody's going to die, right? And Of course, that's the premise of the movie is a little kid's going to die, but it kind of gives you that, like, it's almost hopeless. So it kind of gets you set up that way, at least it, from from what I felt like watching that scene. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, so you can see the difference in how we paid attention during film school with your analysis right there. Because really, uh, our our the our takeaways are just so different. And what what did you take away? Well, one thing I had written down—it's not even to do with like the initial part of the scene or anything like that. But, dude, there are so many people that are smoking, and I guess that's or like relevant to how the times were. Yeah, but like. There's so much haze that's filling up in these rooms. And it's it's back to when I was talking about the sound bridge between um the like criminals and the police officers is in both rooms there's like six or seven people just fucking toking up on their good old like hand rolled cigarettes or cigars or whatever. And it's just creating so much haze in the room. And I didn't I I don't know why it took me so long to pick up on that, but that's such a constant theme throughout all of film history. It's like people were just generally smoking on set. And then they were just like smoking within the scene and it just created like a natural haze. Because I was on a shoot the other day to where, you know, you're not really ever to, like supposed to be smoking while you're on the set anymore. So we had to bring in a haze machine and it was just like we still use the same kind of effect of like having haze within a room. But it was like they were doing it nonchalantly because all of their actors probably just wanted to have a smoke versus now it's intentional because the look of that was so great even back then that it's still relevant.
0: So are you saying that you think the reason why we use haze and like smoke diffusion in a lot of scenes now is because back in the golden age of Hollywood and and early filmmaking, people just smoked a lot, so they gave that like really nice kind of essentially soft, that soft look.
1: Essentially, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, and it could be a hot take, and it could be totally wrong, but I I want someone to prove me wrong. I don't think anybody could prove you wrong actually. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm this is why like our takeaways are so different is because you're actually like super analytical and I'm just over here like theoretically like coming up to new solutions and it's just it's entirely different, my guy. You know,
0: again, I don't think anybody could prove you wrong. I think people might think you're kind of stupid for saying
1: that. Hey, well I will take this moment right now to tell you if you can prove me wrong, I will give you so much credit. But if you just want to pick a fight to fight, I'll fight all fucking day.
0: <laughs> uh, for legal reasons, he will not fight all day.
1: I won't fight anybody No, I de- physically.
0: I definitely don't think anybody could prove you wrong. Like, I really don't think there's a way to prove you wrong on that.
1: Like, yeah, it just seems like a natural, like, route that it would have taken. Yeah. Anyways, back to M. <laughs> Sorry, it was a relevant point to like the movie you. and I just wanted to go off on that little tangent I like, um, because I think it's a cool thing to explore is how, how much in current film have we taken away from all of these old historical films mm-hmm. that are just like the main staple like, oh, that's something new that they started doing and we took it away like the sound bridge and like the L cuts and all that like you were saying like that's something that's an easy takeaway from what we've gotten from these historical films. But I feel like there's so much more that's like lingering behind that. That's not necessarily technical, but it's also something that's consistent. Definitely. Yeah. Um, There are so many
0: things like you're saying you can take away from old movies. And I think one of them in this film that I don't know if they're specifically using it from this movie, but a lot of films are starting to do now is that silence, right? That Mm -hmm. lack of sound. Because for a long time, sound was just added in to fill space kind of without... Without thinking about it. Yeah. And now you'll see some movies that are using that lack of sound, that quiet. Oh, yeah. Sure. To tell the story. To to really kind of hit at your heartstrings. Well, and that's just popping in my mind real quick is 1883, the very beginning, the first episode, the intro, when she's just talking and it's just her voiceover with the black screen and then it like kind of comes in. It uses that silence in like a really dramatic way. Like, is it just a voiceover, but then it slowly rele- reveals that it's like her inner monologue in like a diegetic situation?
1: Yeah. 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 I was thinking more like horror movies and jump scares, but yeah, you're pretty right on that. Well, yeah, no, obviously you can use silence in horror movies to great effect. Yeah. I mean, it's used in so much, and there's so many different instances that you can use it. I was just very surprised you picked 1883 for your reference. I was just, I just watched it the other
0: day, so I was thinking about it.
1: Oh, okay, fair enough. It's a you know, good show,
0: you know. I have recency biased, very bad. Like, I will say, what's my favorite movie? Well, it's one I watched recently that I liked, and that's my favorite movie for a little while until I think of another one.
1: Oh, this will tarnish my credibility in all forms. But my favorite movie of all time is Happy Gilmore. And I know you were just saying ben how done. you so much don't like Ben Stiller, like Adam Sandler movies, just because they're not. Up to your up to snuff for you.
0: Well, no, he's making me look like an asshole. That's the whole point, y'all. Um, no, I just like a really good, I like a dramatic, I, like I like dramatic movies.
1: I mean, dramatic's always great, but sometimes you just gotta have a laugh and then just enjoy like the mid level cinema because, that's true. like, honest to God, when I got into this industry, that's that's where I was shooting for. Yeah, I wanted to make bad movies for happy in Madison. That was like my dream job. You just want to make people happy, yeah, straight up, yeah. I'm it, an island, like a... and
0: I want to have my worldview reaffirmed with films. I'm just kidding. I don't really care. I just think they're more interesting to watch. Well, that's an opinion, and that's why film exists—is because we can have differing opinions, mm-hmm. and nobody's really right. No, honestly, you are definitely wrong. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna take a little break and have a fist fight outside. If I come back with a black eye, you better look at Todd because he's probably gonna be worse. So moving on, what are some interesting moments in this movie that you think propel it to the status that it is?
1: Um, one of the bigger things that I kept picking up on is its use of like hard shadows. Is it, it really like hits you with the hard shadows to like kind of A, shield from revealing the killer really early on in the film, but mm-hmm. it also just goes to like kind of highlight so many different aspects and it's like one of the few moments where there's actually planning well I mean all of the cinematography is planned but it's like it actually has like a useful meaning to it um but I mean there's just like I don't know if I'm gonna be honest this isn't one of my favorite movies ever it's it's definitely influential and it has a lot that you can really take away from it but from like a strictly like a viewer point it's just kind of like it didn't hold my uh attention all that well and that's why I'm very thankful for the way it used sound because it it drawed my attention back constantly so I was able to pick up on a lot of what's going on yeah it can drag at moments but it's
0: still definitely worth a watch even if it's not your favorite
1: oh absolutely I mean one of the things that's like pretty uh impressive is just the amount of characters that are within this and how quick uh, Lang's cutting between everybody and he's not lingering on anything too long because once again, he's letting the sound more or less drive the story. And so he's just using any of, or not any, but a lot of the camera movements, a lot of the actual cinematography is just filler to let the story progress and like have you be looking at something while the sound and the the plot kind of grows and takes hold.
0: Yeah. There are, like I would say about 80% of this movie, if you didn't watch it, and you just listen to it, you'd actually be able to follow on. Obviously, you wouldn't really understand the dialogue if you didn't speak German, but the way it tells the story, like you're saying earlier, is with audio. Mm. And if you were just listening to audio and you could understand German, uh, you would be able to follow the movie really well. It it for somebody who made silent films, being able to do that was is really interesting to see. Like it's really like, wow, that's flipping your medium and succeeding in it is really cool to see. Lang have done that
1: oh absolutely and talking about like the fact that you could basically just turn off and only listen to the audio um is just kind of like a moment to where it's showing how well they planned made the script and kept the audio to drive it forward and I think another instance of that and like a modern take would be hateful eight is another film that could probably do the same thing and for those of you watching here that's our next week All right, welcome back from our 10-1 break, sponsored by 12 Midnight. Might have accidentally left the studio door open and had someone kind of barged in here, but, you know, mistakes are just opportunities to learn hidden up in a mask. Definitely. Yeah, kind of being optimistic. Call me Mr. Brightside. But anyways, back to the real killers. (laughs) Uh, We're going to turn back to... Fritz Lang's M and start talking about the the real murderer that they're trying to hunt down throughout this because he gave a killer performance. He really did. He really did. Uh,
0: His name was, what was the actor's name? Peter Laurel? Laura? I don't know
1: Bro, I, I would have to give a shit to look that one up.
0: So this guy was an old actor, probably definitely dead. Definitely dead by now. Not probably. definitely.
1: Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was at his peak well-being, which also didn't look great back in, like, 1931, so... Yeah. I think this is his first big screen performance and he delivered. He did very well. Also, his eyes immediately, like the first moment he goes on screen, his eyes give him a way of like, you're the most shady guy in here because he has those Steve Buscemi eyes. Buscemi? Buscemi? Whatever. Buscemi. Yeah. They have his kind of eyes to where they're just like popping out of his head and you're just like, dude, it looks like if you clenched a poop too hard, those things would pop out. He's always back to the with Utah. Dude I don't I don't know I I love Toilet, toilet Humor I'm so afraid dude it's natural uh,
0: <laughs> uh Uh so his performance is actually really amazing and his character is supposed to be like a tormented person that like has inner demons that he like can't fight and that's like his yeah, makes why he kills people right
1: I mean that's his whole plea in the in the final scene yeah
0: but when he gives that when When he's looking in the window of that shop and then sees the little girl in the reflection, his performance in that is the creepiest, best thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like he goes from a normal person to dropping his soul and it's gone. Like, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. And then he starts doing like that weird shit, like with his like mouth and stuff. Like he's like almost frothing in the mouth, which is like really fucking gross and like weird. And I don't like it, but it's a really good performance. Mm -hmm. And It's the kind of performance, at least from what I'm used to seeing in old movies, I feel like, you don't really see that kind of stuff.
1: No, not really. And I want to say, like, there's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde feel to him. Um, And then, obviously, like, that scene, it's always one of the screen grabs that they show to, like, promote the movie. But it's the scene when he's in front of the mirror and he's like letting his eyes bulge and he's like messing up and down with his mouth. And that literally felt like a true like Jekyll and Hyde moment because he wants to see himself as himself, but then he wants to see himself as the killer to see what that personality looks like. And I thought that was a really interesting moment because like for any movie, anytime a character interacts with a mirror, it's a method of finding Mm self-discovery.
0: Yeah. And that's the first time we see him and it's not explicitly said that he's the killer, but it's giving descriptions of the killer at the time, like with the what we were talking about earlier with the like kind of like J slash L cuts, where there it's a VO of a character in the movie talking about the person, and then we're being shown it. Mm-hmm. Again, that was very uncommonly used at this time in cinema, which is really interesting to see it done early, and it feels normal today. But if you're watching it then, it's probably like kind of jarring and what was happening. Um, but that's the first time we see his character, and fuck, does he look! creepy
1: and like a killer oh absolutely like they don't say he's the killer but he looks like a murderer well that's one of the things that i want to like commend the movie about is that it gives you so many hints that like you really just have to piece together context clues and then you start to grasp the whole movie pretty quick because like when they're introducing all of the criminals and they're sitting at the table you don't really know much about them you're just getting introduced to him for the first time and the one dude sitting there with like seven pocket watches in front of him so immediately immediately you're like oh has a pickpocket yeah well i i guess i'm not as quick as you because i was like why was this why does this guy have so many watches he was really like checking time or he's a watchmaker or something <laughs> but yeah i eventually picked up that he was doing that because as he's checking all these pocket watches the dude next to him is doing like card tricks and then he started shuffling a deck to do like that you know that roadside pick a card, any guard, kind of thing. Yeah, it's the classic
0: show don't tell. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, it also tells, but not with dialogue. Yeah. It tells with audio. And I know we've gone back to it a thousand times and usually we're not big on audio. Not saying we don't like audio. No, it's just it's not audio. It's not our department, it's not what we do. You know, I actually did rock a boom up for most of college. Yeah, you did actually say that, didn't you?
1: Yeah, but you know, it's whatever. I don't I don't need that credit. You it's, got booms and brooms. Cause you sweep theaters, and... that a boy. All right, yeah. yeah, Over my head a little bit. You no, know,
0: the fact I had to explain it <laughs> means I failed. <laughs> but you know, we're here. We can't all murder his jokes like Todd can.
1: Not the only murderer about this show. Keep teeing him up, dude. It's going well. It's okay. Check <laughs> your notes. Check your notes. Figure something I have else any out. Who's in my notes? Because I definitely don't. Yeah, you need to start getting better on the puns, man. Anyways, there is, um this isn't anything to do with the plot, with the story or anything, but it's just a small note that I picked up on when I was watching it. Send and, it. Yeah, I, I was going to. Yeah, sorry. Um. Anyways, there's three different things that pop up in the background of the movie, and I don't really think that they were used as, like, important information in this thing. I think it was more or less just, like, oh, these are already here. We're just going to show this area as it is. It's just culture at the time. Yeah, straight up. Because there's, like, an early scene where people are hopping down this, like, um, industrialized, like, kind of staircase, and it has an advertisement going down the side, and you see Wrigley written out in English and what I assume is bubble gum in German next to it. So that was, like, kind of a cool thing is, like, Wrigley gum back in that era was massive. Like, obviously, they're still huge today, but it was just, like, it's really cool to see that that made itself, like, such a important thing even in German culture that they have advertisements for it everywhere as well as uh as they're searching for this little girl doing their dragnet they pop into this one shop and in the background there's like three or four scattered um Mickey Mouses and I I only assume they're Mickey Mouses because they look derivative of the Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse which would have been very relevant back in those times and obviously anytime you see a mouse wearing overalls you just kind of assume Mickey yeah
0: but so it's it's actually Mickey mice the plural.
1: Okay, yeah, you're 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 done with the puns, my guy. That
0: wasn't a pun, that was just the truth. It's just the truth. It's not mouses. It's mice. Missing? <laughs> Whatever. Actually, that's that was really close to German word for
1: mouse. Oh. Look at that. Todd's learning. Holy moly. Jesus. He's trying to put a square peg through a round hole dog. It doesn't work like that. Um anyways, try hard enough. I wanna I wanna jump ahead a little bit back towards I feel like we've talked a lot about like the sound and a little bit of the plot and all of those driving factors. If you don't have anything else you wanna talk about from the the first and middle chunk of the movie, I'd love to skip towards kind of the ending. For sure. Let's do it. Alright. So obviously the murderer gets pinned, they start seeing him out walking around with like a little girl, and obviously the blind man heard him whistling, and that's one of the big huge keys about the sound and how the sound plays a super vital element is because the killer is always whistling the same tune mm-hmm. and the blind man which also is wearing a card that says blind i don't understand that i think that was just part of the storytelling thing unless they actually made blind people like wear a marking that said they're blind i don't know Yeah. I don't know and
0: i'm also not sure if the word for blind is the english word for blind in german
1: yeah that was just a
0: weird choice. another weird choice it, it very well could be I've just, it seemed out of place.
1: Yeah, but anyways, this, this blind man, he basically picks up that the guy's whistling the same tune, and so he calls his buddy who can actually see to go and follow this guy, and that's how they end up finding out who the killer is and following him and all of that. And I also love the fact of how they mark him with the M, makes the whole title relevant. The M looks great. For some reason, it's like chalk, but he also carves out the M in his hand with chalk. Oh, I thought it was, like, a napkin, and he was, like, wiping it away. So I thought it was going to be, like, an uh, outline of the letter M when he was going to slap it. But it, it, that makes more sense. But also, why is he carrying chalk? I, I don't get that.
0: Um, why would you not carry chalk? I have some right here.
1: I don't actually have some. But if I did... I, I, I would have shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Um, But no, the way that they mark him with the M is just also super great, and... Then everybody's just following him around and trying to trap him. I also don't understand why their pursuit felt so lackadaisical. It's like, I'm going to stand on this street corner. I'm going to stand on this one. And if he walks our way, we're going to get him. But if he goes a different way, we're not going to follow him. It's like
0: they had different sections of the city that they were like planned out to watch, right? But then as soon as they find the guy, they just kind of like keep handing him off and handing him off and handing
1: him off. And like, yeah. It seems so weird. It was like, yo, this guy's a murderer. Wouldn't you want to just like stop him? Yeah, just get him, right? Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. But anyways, they- It's a plot point. Yeah, they end up capturing him, slapping him up in some building somewhere, and then the criminals actually come in and, and take care of this
0: movie. I love how it turns into a heist movie. For it, like it like
1: for like 10 minutes, it turns
0: into a heist movie.
1: I know, and it was actually a very entertaining heist. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. That was one of my favorite scenes within the whole film.
0: Yeah, it seems random as fuck. Mm-hmm. I love it. I don't, I don't know. know but, it's yeah. so random. It's yeah. just like, why is this a heist now? Who knows?
1: Who knows? But once they finally like get him and bring him to the makeshift trial in front of all the criminals, that actually made so much sense to me because instead of like a true like judici- judiciary trial, it's an actual trial among his peers, other criminals.
0: Yeah. But what they were actually trying for was to kill him or to give him to the police.
1: Yeah, they found him
0: guilty before it even started. Oh, yeah. I mean, the trial they're having is, do we give him a fair trial or do we just kill him? And that was kind of interesting to watch because it wasn't just criminals. It was also like- Mothers. Mothers. Citizens. Citizens. People. It was a whole mob. It was like a mob mentality of people, but it was like organized.
1: And they were all on the same vibe too. Yeah. It's interesting to watch. Also, props to his uh, defender or whatever that lawyer dude. That dude's like, I don't want to be this guy's lawyer,
0: but you're like, but you, but they need a lawyer. It's like the law. Yeah, like Like, it's like fake law. So like, did he really need a lawyer? But then that guy like goes up, and obviously it's a script. So it's not like what he said was like thought on his own. But
1: I know, but it was a good good moment performance, and
0: and the it was like a solid. It was solid. It was like watching this guy defend somebody who he knows is a criminal who he doesn't care anything about but he's giving him that fair chance because it's the right thing to do even though these guys are criminals and it's being set up by criminals they're giving him that chance yeah because he didn't give those kids a chance yeah exactly it's separating them from the monster that he is it's pretty it's pretty interesting to watch really cool tense moment like if you got bored at all during that movie this is the time where kite. Kind of Pulls you back in.
1: Oh, 100%. As soon as you hear that mob, you're just like, yo, shit's going down. I need to be lasered in right now. Like, for a good part of the middle part where they're doing all the dragnets and searching the city and all of that, it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to pay attention a little bit so I can, you know, keep my understanding of the plot. But you don't really get fully drawn in until that last scene. And you're just like, oh my God, I really need to pay attention and keep track of what's going on. But also, that whole scene is great and phenomenal, um, but the actual ending comes so quick. Does, and that's that's one of the things that it like it left me wanting more. Even though I was like somewhat bored throughout the whole movie, I was like I didn't feel like I got a true like resolution, and that's something that I don't personally like with a movie like I like having some sort of re- resolution whether it's a good one or a bad one I don't care but don't leave me on a cliffhanger like that if it's a movie see the really interesting
0: thing about that is that such a German like perspective for movies is to just not like have a resolution sometimes is the Germans have a very realistic point of view of like their movies they End them how it really would in a real life. So you're not gonna like get some happy ending if it's not a happy story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh for the most part, obviously you will in some cases. But I really like watching the movie because at the end it just ends abruptly because the police come in there and like stop the trial. They, yeah it, they don't get to make their decision. It just ends.
1: But it just opens up to a courtroom and then it fades to black. It just shows they're in a real courtroom and then it fades to black. And I'm like, there's clearly more going on here, yeah. and it, like it makes you think that they're just going to put him in some sort of like institution instead of a jail or hang him or whatever. And it's like that's sort of a form of resolution. Like you can ins- assume what's going to happen, but it's not that like true sense of like this whole situation's been resolved.
0: I mean, I might be reading into it too much, but I kind of see it as the resolution for the people, the criminals, the people who captured them, people in that court in the the criminal courtroom right so the the made up one is they were starting an end and it stopped and their resolution was they don't get control over anymore so why would we watch it why would we watch the end of that when the resolution that we were looking forward to was the mob mentality the criminals deciding his fate when they don't get to choose it why do we care about watching what happens with the law that makes sense i don't know I get It's that, an that's, interesting. That's actually right? a good
1: take. I really like so that. So the movie
0: ends because our investment in it is over. Okay. Wow, that makes that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Or like you were saying very early on, maybe
1: they just ran out of budget and they didn't have time shooting anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe any any of these things can happen. It's also why I always wish it's I could just get myself to like time travel and hop on these sets from time to time back Definitely. in the day just to see the difference. Definitely. Um. I
0: mean, in the end. This movie is sometimes a little slow to watch. It's a black and white old movie in a foreign language. It is maybe ticks every box for somebody not to want to watch it for those reasons. Um, but from our experience, it's not your favorite movie. It's not mm-hmm. my favorite movie, but we both definitely agree. It's still a movie to watch.
1: Absolutely. If I don't know from my personal experience you're not going to love every movie you're not going to enjoy every movie but every movie does have something that it can teach you or something that you can take away from it and i think this is one of those movies that has a lot you can really take away and it's always something that's really good to help drive film forward in the future is even then like films come a long way since then but going back and watching something like that it gives you ideas for different things that you can do that might not be happening now and it's that's just how film builds upon its itself like nothing is truly original at this point you can always do new things but at the end of the day you're you're taking some sort of your process from a, a movie or something that's been done before and it's just how do you take that and make it better that keeps driving film forward definitely take it and make it your own straight up yeah For sure. I feel like a lot of great directors really utilize that like anytime you t- listen to like Tarantino talk like He has such an influence with, like, old spaghetti westerns and, like, Sergio Leone. And, like, it's just interesting to hear what kind of movies shape these people. Just, like, when you go to talk about, like, Star Wars. Like, George Lucas's main, like, influences were just, like, the shows and TV that was playing during his youth. And that's where he got the ideas for all sorts of these storytelling elements that are in Star Wars and American Graffiti and all of his great movies that he's done since. Yeah. So there's always something you learn from
0: old movies uh even if it feels like those lessons have already been learned by other people maybe it's best for you to go back and learn them yourself first person
1: yeah you're always going to take away something different than the the person sitting next to you and if this isn't a a true case of that then definitely you know i don't know if it is so let's talk about what we're going to watch next yeah so our next film that we're going to be talking about is going to be quentin tarantino's 2015 film hateful eight it's a phenomenal film. I actually wrote a paper on it when I was in college. Didn't get that great of a grade because I wasn't that great of a student then, but it's such a good watch, and I would definitely recommend checking it out before we record the next episode because you're just going to want to follow along. There's a lot of cool facts that happened with this movie. For sure. So uh, I've been Dom. I've been Todd. it has been Todd. And
0: uh, thanks for watching. Hope you guys come back for the next episode. And uh, we've been to Dom.
1: anyways yeah this has been theater cleaners a 12 midnight podcast we have a great time getting to do this and hopefully you guys enjoy watching it so we're gonna sign off catch you on the next episode lady guys peace